that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I think there's something huge behind that in terms of like, you can't really get lucky sitting in your bedroom thinking about what you want to do because luck is kind of opportunities finding you and unexpected things happening. And really, you need to leave yourself as open to that as possible, which means getting out of your bedroom, getting out into the real world and seeing what's out there and being willing to accept a few knocks. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Second Mind, the show that empowers you to become the greatest version of yourself. To ignite personal growth and intrigue your mind, we showcase the journeys, ideas and mindsets of inspiring people who live and think a little bit differently. Today, we feature a guest that quit his well-paid job at Deloitte to collaborate with friends and organize the largest fundraising event in Uganda. After a roaring success organizing the charity event, he has gone on to continue large-scale charity work in Uganda and has become an entrepreneur, startup investor, advisor, and public speaker. Henry Blanchard, welcome to Second Mind. Thank you, mate. I'm very happy to be here. Cracking. Um, so a little bit of context. I went to see your, your talk last night, yeah. um, which was titled... Quit your job and follow your dreams, dot, dot, dot question mark and the question mark is key <laughs> exactly the big question mark at the end and something that really struck me uh, throughout the talk was you really emphasized that people who have had these seemingly overnight successes people are viewing them in their sort of highest state of like i've created this big mm -hmm. thing i've set this record i've done this but they don't see the work that goes into doing it and they get this very warped perspective of how much grind it takes to get this stuff done. And you were not covering anything up about how much grind it took you. So I was wondering if you could comment on, you know, how people see overnight successes and like how you related to that. Did you see the feat of like creating the marathon um, in Uganda as something that might happen overnight and then you realized that it was gonna take loads of grind or did it change? Um, well, so I, I, I do think this, this whole concept is so interesting of, um I call it like inspiration porn where <laughs> you, you see like the TED talk or the like the medium article or whatever like this kind of Forbes feature on someone and it's just like you know because you need to package stuff up in a story for people to be interested in it so like lawyer turns endurance athlete or accountant turns charity work or something and like it's it's really neat and it's really easy to understand. And as people, we like stuff that's neat and easy to understand. Like we're drawn to that and we're attracted to it. So there's this, almost this massive survivorship bias in the fact that the stories that get told by people and shared are the stories that are wrapped up into this neat little package that's easy to understand. But yeah, just like you said, like that hides this enormous, enormous amount of grind and hard work and failure as well. Like what we don't talk about enough is that people fail along the way. And we never highlight the failures of successful people because, again, sometimes that's not sexy and it's not inspiring and it's not what people want to hear. But it doesn't change the fact that those are the things that people have to go through. Um, so for me, yeah, when, when we started the marathon, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing, no idea whatsoever. And we, we didn't even see it becoming like a massively successful thing. It was just... We were just following our, following our curiosities, I guess. We, we sort of thought, this will be an exciting, 
interesting thing to do. So let's give it a go and see what happens. Um, and I think sometimes you, you find a lot of successful things come from that when people aren't, they're not holding up this idea of like, this is what I'm aiming for and I'm going to get there regardless. They're like, this looks interesting and I'm going to follow it. And then things crop up on the way, like connections and people and opportunities because you've taken those first steps. And I think that is what, again, this sort of inspiration porn kind of TED talk atmosphere does a lot to dissuade people it's the fact of starting and getting moving with something that generally sets your direction it's not you set your direction and then get moving it's like you're like oh okay we're gonna do something in uganda and that turned into a marathon and that turned into a massive event because of all the things that came up along the way rather than we're going to create this amazing massive thing and nothing's going to stop us it was more serendipitous it was more chancy and kind of opportunity based yeah and there, there are many people out there that they might be a little bit concerned about the trusting in the direction because like you were saying it's not this like straight path it's something mm. which seems to have a quite squiggly line and yeah. you can't anticipate all those people that you'll meet and connections that you'll make that will help you along the way and just sometimes what seems like luck um i wonder if you could explain your relationship with what seems like luck but actually maybe it was more just you having the door open to certain opportunities. Yeah, so I, I'm i a big believer in this idea that like I think you can reframe luck as serendipity and I think you can engineer serendipity. Um, mm. I'm really, I really like that term of, like, there's a, there's a, there's a saying that someone, uh, I can't remember who said, but it's the, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I think there's something huge behind that in terms of like, you can't really get lucky sitting in your bedroom thinking about what you want to do because luck is kind of opportunities finding you and unexpected things happening and really you need to leave yourself as open to that as possible which means getting out of your bedroom getting out into the real world and seeing what's out there and being willing to accept a few knocks um for instance uh, the story i told you last night about how basically we started the marathon was i i fell into that trap of like i want to create this marathon in uganda but I'm too scared to do it. I'm too scared to tell anyone about it. I'm embarrassed. This is like, why me? I'm not good enough to do it. People are going to laugh at me. All this kind of chat. Uh, and then I was talking to someone at a bar and they asked what my job was. Uh, and at the time I was working as an accountant and there was there was just no way I was going to tell this person. Here was a girl. Um, <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah. It was, there, was, there was an element of, of <laughs> yeah. chatting going on. Um, and she, yeah, she said, well, what do you do? And... Zero chance. I was going to say, oh, I'm a, I'm an accountant. Hello, would you like to go for a drink? Um, so I sort of I put on the put on the cloak of confidence, uh, and I said, Oh, I'm uh, I'm setting up a marathon in Uganda. That's that's what I do for work. Um, and at this point, I'd done nothing. It was just an idea in my head, an idea that I was quite scared of. And then from from behind me, uh, I get this tap on my shoulder, and I'm like, Oh my god, she's got a boyfriend. This could be so embarrassing. And I turn around. And it's like the biggest guy I've ever seen. He's like six foot six. Uh, it turns out he's an ex-army officer. And he's like, oh, did, did, I, did I hear you right? You, did you just say you're setting up a marathon in Uganda? I was like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, that, that's what I said. Oh, God. Um, and he said, well, that's interesting because I organise a marathon in Sierra Leone. So let's go for coffee and I'll tell you everything you need to know and we'll just get it sorted. And that, like, that moment changed everything. Um, so that that is like that was you could consider that lucky like I got lucky there but also you can consider that I just had like the audacity to tell someone about something I was doing 
even though it wasn't like ready for the world yet. And it was only through doing that and just being unafraid. And like, I was afraid to say it, but I said it anyway, being unafraid to say what I wanted to do and where I wanted my life to go. And just in that moment, everything changed. But that brings on to a flip side of like, I, ironically, I actually don't believe in this idea of the eureka moment. Like you hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, what was the one moment that changed everything for you or made everything different? And like, and I fall into this trap myself. It's this idea that it's something called a found, the founder myth and people polish their own stories. Again, because we love stories and we love simplicity and we love an easy journey. Mm. So even for me, like I've polished that story to come across like cleaner than it actually is. And I think when you talk to anyone who's moved down this kind of alternative career path or start a company or become like a celebrity or something, there's always like a moment, I'm saying that in like air quotes, a moment where everything changed for them. But actually when you really unpick it, I don't think that's true. I think there's just a sequence of moments because you're on a journey and change is incremental. I really, really don't believe in this idea that there's just one thing or one second that changes everything. Because you know what? Like if that guy hadn't tapped me on the shoulder, I was still going to do it. It might have taken a bit longer. But actually, that after that, I started going to events and hanging out with other race directors and people that were working in the adventure travel space. So I would have met someone at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was that idea that by doing all those things, it was cre- like creating opportunities for luck to find me. So if it hadn't been that guy tapping me on the shoulder, it might have been talking to someone that ran a travel company a few weeks later and then them going for coffee with me or me like hustling someone on LinkedIn and just be like, come on, like, I've got this great idea. Like, I just really need five minutes of your time. So, yeah, it's like you can you can say there's luck, but I think there's so much wrapped up in it of like you having to make your own luck and make things happen for you. Mm. And that's a long journey. But you won't hear that from a lot, a lot of like media outlets or people's stories because it's not it's not clean. And it's mm. like, look at me, I've been rambling on for like five minutes about it. It's not like a clean way of looking at things. You can't just say like, oh, I was A and then I was B because this miraculous thing happened in the middle. Um, but we like to say that because it's easy and it makes sense to our little monkey minds. It's very like Hollywood, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. when you're talking about like the sort of pornification of like, like the TED Talk yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, the eureka moment. It's, it's so like golden. So like, yeah, people love to hear that stuff. Yeah, but actually, like coming back to that grind aspect, they don't, they don't talk about oh yeah, and then I worked you know from eight eight a.m. to eight p.m. every night and made all these sacrifices and da 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 da. Yeah, it's like imagine like the Hollywood montage of someone like scrolling through LinkedIn and sending a hundred emails and not getting any replies. Like that that's mm. not a sexy montage. That's not exciting. And also, it's um I think we'll probably talk about inspiration a bit, but it's it's not like inspiring and we're in kind of like an inspiration industry where people want like the catchiest phrase or the the pithiest like like proverb to wrap stuff up in and actually like working really fucking hard 14 hours a day seven days a week like there's there's no sort of secret to it it's just grind Mm. and that you can't wrap that up in anything that makes it sound really nice because it is just grind that's what i really appreciate about certain people who are on their journeys and they're just real about it mm-hmm. um, and they're not trying to wrap it up in it in a certain way they're not BSing people on yeah. what it takes to get there um, yeah. which is weird because they've been through seemingly a lot of hard work and they want to wrap it up in something different for everybody else but yeah, that's just yeah. the way it is yeah. uh, there's something that I'd like to touch on as well that you mentioned earlier about the way that you have these sort of it doesn't go 
straight from one point to the other. And there's these like checkpoints along the way where you've gone down a path of interest, not necessarily passion. Some people do like know what their passion is and that's fantastic, mm. but there are so many out, so many people out there who don't know what their passion is or maybe they don't even have interests. They, they feel like, oh, I go home and watch Netflix or whatever, it's yeah. all right. But uh, how would you say that you've used that sort of path of interest as like checkpoints? Like, were you thinking, oh, I'm still enjoying this, so I'm gonna keep continuing. And then it got stronger mm. and stronger sort of as a, like a fader that you were turning up until it got to this flaming fireball of passion. Yeah, uh, so I think that even like the way you frame that suggests, like implies a lot more deliberation and kind of oversight of it. So mm. like to use an analogy, people say like, a lot of people misconceive evolution as like, you know, for 4.5 billion years, life's been evolving on this planet, like and evolving slowly towards like, humans the final finished form where actually like evolution's blind and it it keeps going and it doesn't have an end point in mind and i think i think for me certainly and a lot of people i know who are kind of working in this space it is and maybe it'd be a good idea to kind of stop and do a self-audit and things like that but it's just generally it's like am i enjoying what i'm doing good all right i keep doing it and i don't i don't think there's even that level of intentionality because if you think about like your day-to-day -day life, for the most part, like we do tend to do things on autopilot, whether we realize it or not. And generally, if nothing's wrong, then we just keep, keep going along that path and letting things bash us for those wiggles. Mm. Um, but I remember for me, I think, I think the key is this idea that if, if things are interesting to you, trust that they're interesting for a reason and they'll probably be interesting to other people as well. So one of the, one of the big successes we had at the start of the marathon uh, was I met someone called Danny Bent, uh, who's a really interesting guy. And he was running something called Project Awesome, which is a free fitness workout at 6.30 a.m. Uh, in London. Oof. I know, right? I'm not a morning person at all. And I, I was just like, but you know what? Maybe this, this sounds like kind of fun and I'll go once. You know, I'll, I'll set my alarm this, just this once and I'll go down. Um, and it was amazing. It was people who were just like me. They worked in London. Uh, they were getting up bleary-eyed early in the morning and we took over like a public space by City Hall in London, played music really loudly. Everyone was like high-fiving and shouting, fuck yeah, each other and kind of like sort of obnoxious and slightly American style, but really, really friendly. And everyone went for coffee afterwards and like none of these people were super, super fit athletes. They were just regular people that were like, I don't want to go to the gym and run on a treadmill. I'd rather hang out with people outside and do something fun. Um... And for me, like, there was never any kind of like, uh, sort of overview of like, oh, I'm doing this because it will be beneficial to me. I was like, I just really enjoy this. Mm. But through meeting people there, like a couple of people we ended up hiring to work with us on the marathon, like loads of people from it ended up coming out and running the marathon and sort of being like, being part of our team or our runners or like our customer service team and just like became so involved with it. So ultimately that was hugely beneficial for the progress of the marathon and by proxy like my career if you want to call it that but there was no there was no kind of intentionality to that it was just these people are really interesting I like them they like me we're doing something fun together and then loads of benefits came from that so I think I think one of the things to do is just like you said if you if you do come home and end up watching Netflix like and god we all do um it's like just find stuff you're interested in 
because the other people interested in it will be your people. Like, find your people and mm. stuff will come from that. And so you, you hear, like, so many people, if you actually go up to someone in the street and be like, okay, like, talk me through how you got your job. About half of them will say traditional application process. But half of them will be like, heard about it through a friend, heard about it through my knitting group, heard about it at my gym, like someone in the changing room was talking about it. Like, when you think about, like, life direction, or even even better, like, talk about how people met their partner. It's, and because that's, like, one of the biggest, that, that is the biggest decision most people make in their life, like, who they spend the rest of their life with. Mm. And almost all the time, that will come from, oh, through a friend of a friend, or I went to this thing and they were there. It's like, we can't, we can't create any chances for serendipity by watching Netflix in a room. Like, we have to make ourselves a bit uncomfortable and get out of our comfort zone and just do something where there'll be other people like us and stuff will happen from there. And again, like, I'd love to wrap that up in a cooler, more inspirational soundbite. I don't think there is one. It's just, just fucking do stuff. Yeah. And people will come and something will happen. Mm. And again, it's all, it's all vague and hand-wavy because that's what life is. Life is vague and hand-wavy. And you can, again, to the cliched Steve Jobs quote, of you can only connect the dots in reverse. You can only look back and see how the path moved. Yeah. I think there's this massive issue with people if they have an idea, first of all, that they think that they have to climb the mountain in, in one go, but actually you just mm. need to take the first step. And that could mm. be, as you were explaining in your talk last night, making one phone call to a friend to explain the idea, mm. getting it down on paper. And then once you've taken that first step, you only have to take one more. And then it's only one step at a time. And I know it's a massive cliche, just one step at a time and you'll get yeah. there. But Actually, it's, a, it's one of those really true things that once you start going through that process, it seems to be very true. And I guess you've experienced that as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like once, once you've, I'm not going to say committed to something because that, that can be like a scary term for people who, are, who haven't started something yet. Because when you say committed, that's a big scary word that implies like time and effort and wrapping your identity up in something. Mm. So instead, yeah, it's this idea of you just take like the first step. Um, like I said to those ladies last night, it's like, just change, change your tagline on LinkedIn. Like, no one cares. No one's looking at it. Just be like, instead of graphic designer, be like, graphic designer and podcast host. Mm. And then boom, that's it. That's who you are now. You're now a graphic designer and podcast host. And you know what? If you don't like podcast hosting, just delete that line from your LinkedIn bio and then yeah. you're not that anymore. It's, it's as easy as that. But we get, we really, we really believe in like the permanence of our identity. Whereas actually it's so much more fluid so yeah, like you said, people, you do get scared off of committing to something because it feels so big and so scary and so daunting. But actually, like, just take a first step. And if you don't like it, then take a step back and take a step in the other direction. Like you're not, mm. the world isn't watching you. Like the truth is no one really cares that much about you. And you have this overinflated fear and regard for how other people think of you. Like they've got their own shit. They've got their own problems. People don't care. And so, yeah, so it's just like you just commit to doing a little thing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Honestly, like mm. no one cares. I've heard you before as well mention about fixed and growth mindsets. And that's something that I've come across in bits of research for myself as well. Mm. And I found that particularly interesting because it comes back to that thing of when someone has an idea, if they're in a fixed mindset, um, they, they feel like they don't have the ability to learn, grow and change. So they, they, their identity is fixed into mm -hmm. this person that they are now. I experienced it when I came out of university. I was thinking, I'm good at these things. And 
okay, that's me until I'm 75 and then I'll pop and then I'll go. Yeah. But actually, if you've got a growth mindset, you look at the world as like new opportunities to learn, grow and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying, you know, like the human race, we're, this isn't the pinnacle of how we're going to be. We're going to keep going in terms of our evolution. And that's how we are on individual levels as well, up until the day that we die. So I, I take it that's you've been, you've experienced that as you've gone along, sort of impressed yeah. yourself in a way. You big yourself up, impress yourself of how you've like developed your knowledge and experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I have this massively, like massively critical self-voice and I've, I'm definitely not unique in that. Like, I think most people do. Um, but I, I think, like, I believe I actually have quite a fixed mindset. Like, I often catch myself being like, I can't do that or I'm not good at that or I don't think that'll work or I don't think anyone will believe that. Like, mm. that's, that's normally my self-talk. Um, so, you, so you really have to like seize yourself by the scruff of the neck and it's, like with all of this, it's easier said than done. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I believe my, my own mindset is quite, is quite, and look, even me saying it, it's like, I believe my mindset is fixed. That's like a very, like, but, but I can have a growth mindset around that. I can be like, oh, well, I think it's fixed, but I know I can work on that. Mm. And I know I can keep checking in with myself and keep pushing myself. Um, so like the thing, yeah, the things that I've done, um, like in my life, I was looking back at the other day, like I've had sort of all these different types of career like even if you sort of package it up as like boom I went to uni I went to Deloitte and now I do this um in between there's been so many different things that I've kind of dabbled in or tried my hand at that have actually mostly gone quite well um so there's there's like an abundance of proof there that I can do stuff mm. when I need to convince myself but even with that like it doesn't work like yeah. <laughs> you, you sit there and be like oh yeah but that was in the past and for whatever reason conditions were right then and actually this is different or this is harder or I'm older now or the world's changed or whatever like like we said last night like intelligent people can always come up with intelligent reasons or intelligent sounding reasons yeah. to do nothing um, so yeah so it's that it's that self-critic and that lack of self-belief uh, that like holds me back holds everyone back I think um, but you really you've just got to sort of take a high level view on that and just be like okay what why am I saying this what am I actually afraid of why where is this self-talk coming from Mm. um I think I think so much of it is fear like so much of it is fear um it's a true story when when I was setting up the marathon for and I didn't I didn't say this last night because it's a very embarrassing anecdote and I rarely tell people and now I'm gonna have to say on a podcast so he's committed now (laughs) (laughs) um so Oh, no, I have committed now. So um, before I set the marathon, uh, I was in a long-term relationship with someone that I really, really cared about. Um, and in the end, it didn't, we sort of went our separate ways and it didn't really end up working out. And then very, very swiftly, she got into a new relationship um, with this guy who was an army officer. He was like tall and handsome and fantastic. And, and they're married now and they're, they're brilliantly happy and it's wonderful. Um, but I, I remember like, you know, you know very much for like when you split up with someone and you sort of, it's not like a competition to see who moves on first, but there's definitely an element of like, if the other person's happy and in a new relationship, you're like, oh, oh shit. Um, <laughs> so I, I was kind, I was kind of operating in that this space. I tell you, this is this is embarrassing. This this is raw. Um, so I was kind of operating in this space where like. She, she was quite successful in her career and she was in this fantastic relationship with this person who was objectively, like, like great. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, you know, yeah, my inner voice was saying, like, better than me, basically. Better than me. I was an accountant. I didn't know where my life was going. Uh, I'm not, like, tall, dark and handsome, dot, dot, dot. And then I came up with the idea for the marathon 
and like obviously when you, when you want to start something you need to publicize it you need to tell the world about it and the blocker for me and the fear for this embarrassing fear for me was every time I thought like right okay I'm gonna post a Facebook status about like guys this is what I'm doing I'm setting up a marathon Uganda like who wants to help who's in uh set up a Facebook page like like and share it let's do it go on please 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 um and I just have this sort of like bizarre and not like I'm not going to over dramatize and say like nausea or anything like that but just this just this fear and this tickling feeling of like whenever I imagine myself telling the world about what I was about to do the first thought that came into my mind was those two lying in bed blissfully post-coital and her looking at her phone and being like huh look what that idiot's doing (laughs) that'll never work what a twat god I'm so glad I'm not with him anymore um, and that, like, mm. that was the fear that I kept. Ha- and it's so bizarre because it's like this this person like didn't matter to me anymore. Like they'd moved on, I've moved on, but it was just that that fear of being laughed at or of being humiliated or of it going wrong and of people mm. knowing about it. Um, and that held me back for like two months before yeah. I did anything about it. Um, yeah, and you've just got to you've got to be open and honest with yourself about that. And again, I think just just keep pulling yourself back to the fact that ultimately no one gives a shit because they've got their own worries and their own things to think about. And yeah, maybe maybe someone who you used to know will look at their phone and think, oh, what's that idiot doing? Oh, he's starting a podcast. Who does he think he is? But then they'll get on with their own life, mm. and ultimately they're inconsequential. And the only people there's this idea of the mum test. Uh, which is is a concept I I love and I tell my students about all the time. Um, So if you say you're starting a business uh, and you want to tell your mum about it, there are two things your mum will say. One, she'll say, oh my goodness, my my precious angel, you're starting a business, I'm so proud of you, you can do anything, you're amazing, you're wonderful, let me tell the aunties, like, you're brilliant, you're fantastic, and like, shower you with praise and support. And the other way your mum will go, she'll say, what are you doing? Like trying to start a business. Oh my goodness. Don't you know businesses fail? You're abandoning your safe job. How could you do this? We paid all this money for your schooling and your violin lessons. Oy vey. Like you're letting your family down. Like, and it generally goes one of two ways. But unless your mum is your target customer, her opinion is literally inconsequential. Likewise, and unless my ex-girlfriend was my target customer for coming out and running the marathon, her opinion was inconsequential. The only people whose opinions matter are the people that are going to use your product or service or be your customers or subscribe to your YouTube channel or listen to your podcast. Those are the only people whose opinions matter. And you shouldn't care about anything else because if you serve those people, you've got a career, you've got a business, you've got a project that works and is viable. So you should only care about what they want, what they need and serve them and meet them where they are and fuck everything else. I think a massive avoidance for people coming back to that sort of personal element of it mm. of generating your own idea and sort of putting that out into the world it it if people are commenting on it it's not like they're commenting on something you did at work where it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah you know this is the role da, da, da. you can kind of mask yourself behind that this is yeah. your idea and it's come from you so and how have you managed to sort of remain remain sort of feeling strong in your idea and trusting in it even i'm sure you've had like some bits of criticism have you just really looked to the correct audience when you've been taking feedback because i do believe feedback is something that's really important as long as it's coming from the right people and done in the right way yeah so yeah i mean i'd i'd love to say yeah 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 you know i just uh i just focus and double down on the target market the people i'm trying to serve but fuck man like it 
it hurts a lot whenever anyone says anything bad about anything that you do because you inter- like you internalize it so much like mm. for me i've internalized the marathon so much so there's actually now a few copycat events that are springing up around the world um it's a great thing i know right and that that is it that is amazing that you've said that because it is a great thing like mm. it is amazing like people doing stuff and wanting to help people but you have this like the crocodile brain inside being like oh my god like someone might look at what we're doing and then what someone else is doing and and heaven forbid what if they think theirs looks better or what if like someone goes and runs in like Czechoslovakia instead of Uganda or something it's like there's a hundred thousand marathons in the world it, it's fine there's room enough for everyone um but yes yeah, so you do get like you do take it quite personally um, and you shouldn't but at the same time it's, it's really hard not to because like anything you do where you're passionate about it is an extension of yourself um and I'm sure I'm sure there are, there are many many wiser heads than me that could tell you exactly how to avoid becoming wrapped up in it. Um, but for me, it's difficult. So, look, for instance, the talks I do, um, there's a feedback system on the website where people book through, uh, and like pretty much universally, the reviews are positive. But occasionally, like someone will come along and be like, "Oh, what you know, it wasn't for me, or I didn't like it, or like the best one I, I got one a couple of months ago." Um, where someone was saying, oh, with the advice just basically boiled down to just do it. And I knew that anyway. So rubbish. Um, Two hours wasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, oh God, and, and one other one was like, what, because uh, sometimes I get guest speakers in. She's like, one of the guest speakers had some notes and he read off his notes. What a waste of money. I could have just like downloaded his notes for free or something. And, like, and you, you really want to engage with that and just be like, no, but you didn't. And, uh, but like everyone's got their own shit and everyone's coming with their own expectations. And I think you have to realise that, that behind like every comment is someone living their own life with their own struggles and their own problems or their own... Just potentially like you've miscommunicated who you are and what you're doing and you've given someone a false expectation. And then, I mean, that's on you. So, yeah. N- negative comments, they're always going to hurt. And I think... But you have to pay attention. There's this idea that if, if there's one uh, kind of boils down to customer service, if there's one squeaky wheel, there's 20 silent ones that are also wobbling. Like this idea that if one person's complaining to you about something, because most people, especially here in Britain, we're, we're quite chilled out. We don't like make a fuss. We don't complain. So if one person's complaining to you about an issue, it's going to be an issue for lots of other people. But for mm. whatever reason, it's just not something they wanted to talk about or worry about. Most interestingly, it's when when you're doing anything kind of customer facing. So, for instance, imagine you're doing a YouTube channel, or even better, imagine you're doing a podcast, and someone writes in and says, like, emails you, and be like, well, you know, I'm really frustrated because, like, your the formatting of the text on your podcast description always comes through really funny on my phone, and you're like, oh my god, I had no idea that happens. Um, but for, for like that one person that's emailed you, there's probably like a thousand people that have been frustrated by it and just be like, I'm just not going to bother downloading this or listening to it anymore. And they just silently drift away. Mm. So you do, you do have to pay attention to the criticism um, because, you know, that, that's how you learn and that's how you grow. Like you can't, if everything's hunky-dory the whole time, like you're not making any progress because you're just resting on your laurels and thinking, oh, everything's fine. It's all ticking along nicely. Yeah. So take me back to when you were working at Deloitte you had the sort of classic sort of spit out of university you, you got your degree yeah. uh, and then got onto the grad scheme at Deloitte which it seems like quite a you know 
when when people get to that point, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a successful graduate. I've got this Deloitte <laughs> yeah. grad scheme, and you know, I'm making a fair bit of money. Moved to London, like the the sort of classic graduate life. Yeah. Um, how did you then realize that maybe it wasn't for you? Like, what were your feelings at that time? Hmm. Um. So, I I think grand schemes are really they're an interesting idea. So. Mm. For one, like most most of the big corporate grad schemes will take you if you've got a two one, uh, like regardless of subject. So I went and did accounting with Deloitte, and there were people there who'd done accounting and finance degrees, who were coming in at exactly the same level with exactly the same expectations as me, who was coming in with a philosophy degree, and it just seems so bizarre that basically all you had to do was just get two one, regardless of whatever it was in. So for me, like philosophy involved a lot of reading, but it was only two hours of lectures a week, whereas someone else doing like maths or physics or chemistry or biology, you know, they'd be in the lab sort of 30, 40 hours a week and come out with something that was regarded the same and equally seen by employers. And I thought that was somewhat counterintuitive. The other thing that I find really interesting about it is that for these, it, you know, it's called the milk round, like the companies going around all the universities and trying to, trying to pull in all yeah. the good grads. Uh, and the hoops they make you jump through... Um, so there's this big there's this big emphasis on you as a rounded person. So they want to see a two one, but they also want to see like you've been a social sec of society or you're on the sports team or you've done charity work or you've you know, you were the yearbook captain at your high school or something. Like they they want to see that you've done all these creative, interesting, dynamic things and that you'll add distinctiveness to the firm and you'll bring in all these external parts of yourself that aren't just academic and then when you get there they're like brilliant this this sort of a thousand like allegedly the cream of the crop like a thousand best individuals we could find across all these universities that done all these amazing things and now we're going to completely homogenize you and put you all through this three-year scheme that's exactly the same and identical for everyone and you're all doing the same work day by day and it's very like routine based um and it sort of like just squashes the color out of people Mm. and chips off all the edges and the little spiky bits that kind of stick out and make them interesting and unique. And then you find three years later, all everyone does is work really hard, have a pint after work, go home and watch Netflix, rinse and repeat. And like everything that was unique and special and interesting about them has just been buried underneath this sort of grey cloak of corporate sameness. Um, a beautiful image, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, for, so for me, you know, I, I actually, I started a couple of businesses at university. Uh, one went all right, and then one like literally just crashed and burned because I didn't know what I was doing, uh, and that sort of that kind of scared me off a bit. So I ended up uh, taking this grad scheme because I had no idea what to do, but I was scared of doing anything by myself because I'd done this one thing that hadn't gone very well. And for me, then, that was like, well, I'm a failure now. Like, I failed at something. Mm. And I'm now marked with this like indelible ink of failure written across my forehead. And I can't ever do anything again because I tried this one thing and it didn't work. So I guess I better just get this grad job and kind of get my head down for the next 50 years and then retire and die. Uh, so, yeah, so it'd be like commuting in on the Northern Line uh, in London, you know, like nose pressed into someone else's armpit, uh, working there really hard and then kind of, you just sort of look every day and every day would be the same and every commute would be the same. And it was just, mm. yeah, it was just, it was gray and lifeless. Um, yeah. So yeah, so for me, it was just, but again, I had, I had no idea that 
there could be something else. I was like, well, okay, well, I've, I've tried sort of setting up my own thing and like it went well and then it didn't. So obviously that's not for me. And, you know, people don't like people aren't allowed to just set up businesses or go off and like live an alternative lifestyle. Like it was this idea of waiting for permission and not choosing myself. Mm. Um, I really felt like someone had to give me the okay to do it. And because no one was going to give me the okay to do it because, you know, I thought there was a certain type of person that was allowed to do stuff like that. Um, you know, my, my family's really working class. I was the first person to go to university. Um, and I was just like, you know, this isn't for people like me. So I was like, well, okay, well, I just, I'm just going to do this job until I die, I, I guess, because that's, that's what you do. Like, you're not supposed to like your job. You're not supposed to like work. It's supposed to be crap. And that's life. And that's what I thought. Coming from a very like fixed mindset, like we were talking, talking earlier, mm. like, hey, this is my position in society. Thanks very much. It seems all right, but a little bit of shit, but a little bit all right. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll, I'll take it. And then you got to a point, obviously not like hitting rock bottom or anything like that, but you felt this grayness. And I know it's hard to put into words when you do have that repetitive nature. And actually, when you start knowing, if you start seeing the patterns in your life and you're not happy with them, mm. that's a really big message of like, I've noticed this. Yeah. Why have I noticed this? Is it a message? And I do believe that life gives you small sort of knocks and like thoughts mm -hmm. aren't always random. Sometimes th sometimes the thought is taking you in a, in a direction. So mm. then I take it you got to this boiling point where you're thinking, okay, sod this, time for the, the next step. I'm going to trust in this direction. Well, you know, like yes and no. Like again, we could, we could package this up into a eureka moment. Um, mm. but I just don't think they exist. So there, there was, there was one, there was one time when, uh, so I was working Canary Wharf, uh, doing some accounting, uh, and I was up on the 30th floor when I got, I was leaving and I had like, just a long shit day. We were working in a windowless room, um, working on the Canary Wharf accounts, um, which were just, ugh, just very boring and a lot of rich people making a lot of money and yeah. wanting to make even more. And I got in the lift on the 30th floor and I pressed down and the lift slipped a floor and because because I'm a very restrained English person like I've never pressed like the emergency alarm on anything in my life and I was like jabbing the alarm I was like holy fuck I'm gonna die it's falling the lift shaft's falling down um and I got through to the control room and they're like yeah don't worry it slips all the time it's fine um and I just remember being so shaken and I got down to the bottom and I was just like holy fuck this would have been the worst way to die like in Canary Wharf after a long day of accounting in a windowless room and you know what I'd love to say that was the eureka moment and at that point that was my boiling point and i knew i had to leave but ultimately actually i've been on that journey for like the last two and a half years that i had been there um so again so i was i was working for them and because there's there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of ways out in terms of like people don't come up to you and be like oh have you have you thought about doing this this like alternative thing or this because there's not like a clearly defined career path outside of the the clearly defined career path is there it's like you join a corporate and you mm. get promoted and you get a mortgage and you have some kids and then you die and that's sort of the career path because it's easy to understand and lots of people do it and anything else is so disparate and non-homogenized that you know no one can present you a clear plan so i'd been starting to work in uganda uh, with one of my ugandan friends doing fundraising events with him and stuff just at the evenings and the weekends because basically it's like well i can't i can't quit my job because people don't do that uh but I would like to find some sort of small crumb of meaning outside of the spreadsheet. So in my spare time, 
because again that was a career model that I'd seen people do like people in the firm people in London would do like their CSR or their volunteering days or stuff like that and I was like well okay well I can I can do that obviously like in the little bits of spare time I have here and there I can help my friends in Uganda so I'll do that and then just slowly that grew up to the point where once we'd committed to the idea of organizing the marathon it just it just became apparent and this was like two or three months after like the lift incident which wasn't really an incident at all it was just like another small step on that journey and in that process mm. uh, so about three months after that it just became apparent I was like oh, actually organizing a marathon in a foreign countries kind of a lot of work and I can't really juggle the two so which one's going to have to go sod it I'll quit the Deloitte job because actually you know like I'm a qualified accountant I, I can probably get another job like it might not be quite as good as well paid or actually maybe I can back myself maybe it would be as good as well paid because I've gone off and done something quite interesting and maybe that would make me like a more desirable candidate or employee um so yeah so it was just that kind of state of rationality of you know what there's we, we have this idea of like oh but what if I lose everything but I was like 26 living in London not married no kids no mortgage like living with my mates it was like what what am I what is everything to lose? Like, there's not actually that much. And what I found really interesting was once I quit my job and moved to Uganda, I spent sort of 18 months traveling around before I came back to the UK. And I just stepped straight back into my kind of old social life. Like, it was like all my friends were still there. They were still doing the same sort of things. It was still like, it was really easy to kind of step back in. So there, there's this FOMO idea of like, life will move on without me. And actually, no, like, you move on and life is still there waiting for you to just pick it back up if you want to mm. if someone's feeling that like gray atmosphere in their life repetitive nature they're looking at mm. the spreadsheets and they're thinking nah is there maybe like the top three bits of advice you would give to them to making their first steps outside mm. of that world okay so your first steps have to be small because otherwise you get daunted by it and you get fearful of it and you f you think you're over committing um so literally like for me what i would always suggest to people is literally just like find your people whatever it is you're interested in go on to eventbrite go on to meetup.com mm. just search for it and commit to buying a ticket and going along and it'll be awkward and you'll turn up and you won't know anyone and you'll think oh my god what am i doing here everyone knows everyone else i'm a failure i'm not like friendly enough or sociable enough oh my god i'm just gonna go home and watch netflix and that will happen and then what you have to do is you have to go and do it again. Because it's like you just have to keep showing up. Like whatever it is in work or life or social or dating or whatever, you just have to keep showing up. Like mm. you can't get scared off because like where where people fall down a lot is the size of the action we take is is too small. It's like we send off one CV to a company and we don't hear anything back. And then we're like, well, uh, well it's done, it's rubbish, I tried, but nothing happened, so I'm done was actually like we really underestimate the amount of time stuff takes the amount of investment emotionally stuff takes like to, to make it really successful so you just have to start and be aware that like you will have to deal with a little bit of discomfort but try and minimize that as much as possible so yeah just try and trick yourself into like okay I'm going to buy this one ticket to this one event and I'm going to talk to one person and that doesn't even ha I'm just going to say hello to one person I don't know like mm. gaping through through clenched hands over my face like oh god they, what if they don't say hello back and it'll be like just do one thing that puts you slightly out of your comfort zone 
and near people who are interested in the same stuff that you're interested in. Yeah. And if you're not interested in anything, I mean, I don't believe that. <laughs> but like, even if it's on like Netflix, like if, if Netflix is your passion, then like go to like a cinema event or like a like a, a screening party or something. Like if yeah, like there's there's so many ways to tap into the things you're interested in. There's so many communities out there. Like the internet is amazing in that it's like connected the whole world around these weird hobbies and things that like before you'd be the town weirdo if you're into like like left-handed stamp collecting or something there's like there's one person who's into that in each city around the world but there's like 10,000 cities around the world so there's 10,000 of you and you can form a community based around that and now you can monetize that and make that your career Hmm. so yeah so yeah yeah so start small yeah yeah (laughs) there we go there we go rambling away um yeah so start small but do start um and do it in a way where yeah you can you can find your people or at least put yourself in the way of kind of where you think people are likely to be um i think like it's really easy to fall into the research and reading trap like so easy of like oh i want to do something so i'm gonna like read around it loads and watch loads of videos and stuff like that and and like that is like inspiration is important because inspiration like gets us to do stuff but inspiration isn't durable right i'm really fond of saying that like inspiration doesn't last so you either have to keep topping it up um but that you just then on a cycle of like i just have to watch youtube videos every day so it's like you have to at some point replace inspiration with action because the world doesn't care whether you're inspired or not like if you're just Mm. sitting like there's no difference looking at an inspired person sitting in their bedroom and a bored person sitting in their bedroom like if you're outside of that bedroom you can't tell what's going on inside like there's no difference you have to actually do something with that um so yeah so in fact in fact I'm, there's no way to boil it down into like a nice three-step plan it's just basically you just have to do something yeah you just ha- you have to because I've, the world isn't going to do it for you i've heard before uh, people mention the 80 20 ratio of 80% action, 20% research, even at the start. And it's so mm-hmm. easy to put those barriers in place and say, just one more Wikipedia article and next, yeah. next thing you know, you're like looking at like weird brands of goldfish on the internet <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, your mind has a funny way of being able to lead you away from action. And sometimes you need to be really harsh on yourself and just say like, I know it's going to be uncomfortable and be okay with that. Step outside of my comfort zone and do something small. Like you're saying, the first point do something just really small and know that it will be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think that's, that's a really good thing to be able to share. Thank you. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received from anybody? Hmm. Uh, from a guy called Derek Sivers. Um, he said, if kind of riffing off what we said before, if information alone was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with perfect abs, right? This idea that you can, you can know everything, but unless you do something with it, there's no point. You're, you're just a walking encyclopedia, mm. but you're not actually doing anything with it. So yeah, it's like we, we all know, and we even said this last night, we, we all know what we should do. Right? If we want to run a sub three hour marathon, or if we want to have an amazing body, or if we want to get fit, or if we want to learn the violin like we all know the steps we have to take like if we really stopped and thought about it like, okay i have to buy violin book violin lessons practice every day but we don't do it mm. 
and it's just it's just that that gap between intention and action that you need to bridge and you only get good at that by like by practicing it like no one's good at anything at the start including simply taking action like it's a learned skill mm. and because of without ranting about the education system at all but it's like we we are on a conveyor belt from the age of three most of our lives of like there's a clearly defined next step and we don't have to think about it too much and like if you look at school school's the best like even if you do nothing at school you still move up from year three to year four to year five like that's just an automatic process so we become very good at sitting back and like letting things happen to us and we become very good at being on the defensive rather than the offensive in terms of like we sit there and wait for things to happen to us loads of people run their businesses kind of with their inbox as their to-do list but your inbox is a to-do list that anyone in the world can add something to it's this idea that we sit back and wait for stuff to happen was actually 90% of the time you should be on the offense you should be making stuff happen you should be reaching out and doing stuff off your own back from your own ideas but again that's a skill you have to learn because there's a lot of unlearning of I've just been drifting along kind of been carried by the wave sort of all the way through like like me like all the way through school through uni through a grad scheme and it takes a lot to kind of push out of that and go okay like this is the way I'm being pushed but actually I don't want to go that way Mm. and it's and it's hard to it's hard to even see that it's happening to you and it's even harder still to break it which is why you have to build up to it slowly I think that's really powerful yeah before I ask my last question, it's the time for self-promotion, shameless self-promotion. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Is there anything that you'd like to say uh, about people finding your content in the future? Um, so I, God, I, I have my own website, which I've always thought was a really narcissistic thing to have. So I, uh, I actually just replaced it with a holding page about a year ago. So it's henryblanchard.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter, and but the, the best way to find me is through the Uganda Marathon. So it's henry at ugandamarathon.com. Ugandamarathon.com is what we do. Um, yeah, and like I'm always willing to help people. I run a startup education course for young people. Uh, I do a lot of mentoring. Um, yeah, just like contact me if anyone wants any help. Like I don't charge for it because I just think that like the the most exciting thing in the world is seeing people take life into their own hands and do something with it i just think that's so cool and i just love helping people like kind of go on that first step of like oh shit like i, I did a market stall and i sold my own little homemade protein balls and people actually bought them mm. and i made money oh my god this is amazing i want to do more of this like that little first step where people just begin to realize it's possible or like i set up a twitter account for my I, I don't know, my like football memes and jokes page or something and, and someone retweeted it. Like, oh my God, I did something that someone else in the world, a complete stranger, like engaged with or liked or responded to and it's that kind of initial moment and that's where people get the momentum from and I love seeing that happen. Um, so yeah, so I'm happy to help anyone if they want to they get on that path. Wicked. Thank you very much. Uh, finally... If I asked your friends, what would they say your one superpower is? <laughs> oh, God. Um, it would depend on which friends <laughs> when they knew me from. Um, Maybe someone who worked with you on the, on the marathon. Okay. Um, so, interestingly, um, the guy, so a guy called Andy Miller, who I run the marathon with, um, he... Huh. He, I think he'd actually say my superpower is inconsistency, um, which is 
probably makes me more of a villain than a hero. Um, but yeah, it's like when when I'm on, I'm very, very, very good. Um, and I'm like not afraid of the grind and not afraid of working hard. Um, and when I'm not on, I'm just not on, um, which is probably probably more honest than I intended to be 10 <laughs> seconds ago. But yeah, like we're all, we're all flawed individuals. And I think mm. like we again, we talked about and we touched on mental health last night. I think it's so important to, as part of this demystifying demystifying process, like everyone has tough days. Like even Richard Branson will wake up some days and just be like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to deal with this and this has gone wrong. And oh my God, this is a ball ache. Like it's this idea that you, you always have to eat a shit sandwich. Like wherever you are in life, there will be some stuff you don't want to deal with and there'll be some stuff that depresses you and there'll be some stuff that you find really upsetting or challenging. Um, and it's just, I think it's just understanding that everyone is, I'm, I'm not going to say flawed because that's a value judgment um, and that's also like some of my own insecurities coming through, but it's everyone is on their own journey and it is hard. Mm. And you have to be as honest and as open with that as you can because uh, like, what's the point otherwise? What's the point in having this front that you continually put up to the world like it makes for good Instagram stories but it's not it's not real so yeah so I guess I guess that's not really a superpower at all is it it's um, an honest superpower well, I like I like the, uh, yeah. the truth behind it <laughs> uh, Henry thank you so much for joining me on My Second pleasure, Mind um, everyone please uh, do follow Henry Blanchard because he is giving away Really, really good content, I'm sure, like for your talks and look out for him if he's coming to your city. Follow him on social media, add him on LinkedIn. He's giving away this free advice and, and please, you know, link up with him. Take the first step. Um, so, yeah, everyone, you've been listening to Second Mind, the show that fuels you to be the greatest version of yourself. If you've enjoyed our discussion today, please do smash the like button and subscribe to us so you can keep updated with all the latest episodes. Your support is what helped drive our messages out to more people. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, stay true.